blue wire. Osweiler in trouble. Osweiler brought down Khalil Mack. Oh, here comes Bullshit. Griffin without a helmet. J.J. Watt will always put his fingerprints on a game. Steps up, and he's going to be hit from the side, and he's going down. That's a sack. Darius Leonard, the maniac. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Trench Warfare Podcast. I'm your host, Brandon Thorne. This is presented by Blue Wire and our sponsor, Untuck It. And today I wanted to talk a little bit about the decade that just passed with regards to NFL offensive line play and really go in depth on what I think the the offensive line unit that had the best single year of the decade and I think that that was the 2016 Dallas Cowboys offensive line. So the offense as a whole was really successful. Uh, I believe they were the fifth overall offense in total offense in the 2016 season, fifth in points per game, uh, first in rush attempts, and second in rush yards, second in rush yards per game. Uh, so definitely a really good offense. You know, Romo's quarterback, Des Bryant, was probably at the last of his peak of his powers that season. Um, but really the offensive line that the Cowboys built that decade, the decade that we just got out of, was pretty remarkable because they had three first-team All-Pros at one time, um, and that's pretty much unmatched across the NFL, uh, as long as I can remember. Um, and really the Cowboys franchise as a whole has probably been the best in the NFL over the last 20-plus years of putting offensive lines together at a high level. Uh, now, granted, they invest a lot, but you can invest first-round picks in offensive line, but it doesn't mean you're going to draft first-team all-pros every time, um, and the Cowboys have almost done that. Um, so it's, it's pretty remarkable, and I wanted to bring in somebody to help contextualize this and, and offer you know a, a bigger, better perspective on the Cowboys franchise and, and really talk about their offensive line in detail with me. So I reached out to the Athletics' Bob Sturm. He's been covering the Cowboys for 22 years, and he, I think, as, as well as anybody out there as far as sports writers go, uh, he offers a, a great historical perspective in everything that he does uh, for the Athletic, and he has written a great piece on Larry Allen and, and uh, the, just the Cowboys in general, just very in-depth, comprehensive stuff. So I have Bob here. Um, we're we're going to get into this interview. I think you guys are going to enjoy this. He told a lot of great stories about the Cowboys uh, franchise and offensive line, how they were built and things like that, and just a lot of background info that, that makes it really interesting. Um, but yeah, I just uh, this will probably be the first show of many that I'm going to do um, starting now and throughout the offseason, kind of going back on the decade of offensive line play that we just got out of. So Without further ado, here is my conversation with Bob Sturm. Ever see an untucked button-down? They look bad. Why? Because they weren't meant to be worn that way. Thankfully, there's Untuck It, the original button-down shirt actually designed to be worn untucked. No matter your size or shape, Untuck It shirts always fall at the perfect untucked length. So you can find your favorite Untuck It style online or check out one of their 80 brick and mortar stores. 
I have checked out their site. They have wrinkle-free button-down, super soft flannels, outerwear, and more. I personally think that the flannels are the way to go, especially with the winter season. But with Untuck It, your shirts will never look baggy, bulgy, too long, or too big again. And of course, their website, it's really easy to use. They have a whole page devoted to helping you find your exact fit. So I would definitely check them out. And whether you're shopping for holidays um, or you're trying to craft a smart, relaxed style of your own, Untuck It is the way to go. Visit untuckit.com and use code BLUE for 20% off at checkout. That's untuckit.com and promo code BLUE for 20% off. All right, everybody, I'm here with Cowboys writer for The Athletic, Bob Sturm. He also hosts a radio show. He's been covering the Cowboys for 22 seasons, I believe. Bob, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here. Hey, thanks for having me. Big fan. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, the reason why I wanted to have you here was to talk about the Cowboys offensive line in 2016 and, you know, us entering a new decade now. I figured it'd be a, a good as time as any to kind of look back on the decade and, you know, talk about some of the best offensive lines of the decade. And I thought that the Cowboys were the first one that the first one that came to mind. And I think that they're probably the best one of the decade. I started watching football really closely, you know, coaches tape and all that in 2013, 2014. So I, you know, there, there may be a couple there that I missed, but from when I started watching, I think the 2016 Cowboys are the best. Um, And there's a few reasons for that, but I wanted to get your take on it and just, uh, you know, when, when somebody mentions that offensive line, what, what do you think of and, and how good do you think they were? Well, yeah, that, that 2016 team and, and the Cowboys, we, we've definitely seen many uh, iterations of, of, you know, how they build their offense and, and, and their general philosophy. But I always tell people that to me, the Cowboys of the present day are greatly affected by the Cowboys of 25 years ago. And to the older uh, folks in your audience, you know, clearly that's the dynasty of the 90s, which is weird that I actually speak of the dynasty of the 90s as something only old people might remember because it it doesn't feel very long ago. It's Troy, Evan, and Michael, of course, but it also was, you know, maybe the dominant offensive line of this generation. And so I set all this up to say, in my opinion, with Jerry and Stephen Jones and with Jason Garrett and with all the influences that run through that 90s dynasty until basically today, of course, Jason Garrett didn't make it uh, you know, until a couple of weeks ago, but I, I feel like it was always trying to get back to that, trying to get back to the offensive line that absolutely destroyed teams and took away their will and took away their uh, – you know, their legs and their, their soul midway through the third and fourth quarter. Uh, maybe the template for it would be the 95 championship game uh, against Green Bay uh, at Texas Stadium. And, and just the way eventually Emmett Smith and that offensive line just wore them down and uh, ran right through them to Super Bowl 30. And so, you know, I, I think the 2016 team and the 2014 team were both examples of, okay, if you can get that whole, you know, set up together, uh, could Tony Romo 
uh, in 2014, and obviously he was the plan in 2016, could DeMarco Murray and Ezekiel Elliott fill those roles? And then if they can, surely the offensive line of the Cowboys in 14 and 16 uh, would, would make all the difference in the world. And, and so, you know, that's a, that's a long-winded way, and, and, and you probably know just about everything I say is a bit long-winded, but uh, with, with regards to that sweet spot, which the Cowboys have kind of been trying to get back to uh, ever since they let Ron Leary walk away. Uh, you know, that, that, that was the measuring stick where they, they feel like they pretty much recreated what the early 90s had done, at least from an offensive line standpoint. Yeah, no, feel free to, you know, expand, you know, with further with, you know, answers to come as well. I, you know, we want to hear it for sure. So, you know, just to kind of set the table a little bit more with the 2016 team, you know, so their offense, they had a really good offense that year. They finished fifth overall, fifth in points. Um, they were first in rush attempts and second in rush yards. And really, you know, that offensive line was really kind of the, the lifeblood of that offense. And as you said, it has been for Cowboys offenses for a long time. Um, it's really amazing the way that they've been able to build offensive lines as, success, as successfully as they have. Granted, they've you know invested probably more than anybody or as much as anybody you know over that time as well into the position. But nonetheless, 2016, they had three first-team All-Pros on the offensive line. And I don't know if we've... I don't know how often that's ever happened. Um, I haven't done that research, but I, I can't imagine it's happened very often, if at all. I'm really not sure. But, um, you know, Zach Martin at right guard, Travis Frederick at center, and Tyron Smith at left tackle all made first-team All-Pro. They were all the best players in the league at their position on the same offensive line. And really, I think that was maybe the peak of Tyron Smith's powers, uh, you know, that 2016 year, even though he had only had 13 starts and he's had 13 starts for, their, I think, like four or five years in a row at this point. Um, but 2016, I think he was just absolutely incredible, even with the missed games. And then, like you mentioned, Ronald Leary at left guard. Um, Leo Collins started a few games for him due to injury, but Le Ronald Leary mm -hmm. probably the best year of his career that year. Um, and then Frederick and Martin, you know, have kind of been the gold standard of their positions uh, for a while. And then Doug Free, I wrote a big article about him that season. Uh, he was often overlooked and undervalued, but um, he kind of stuck out a little bit because he was a solid player. And when you're playing alongside Zach Martin, um, you know, it's, if you're solid, you can maybe look a little worse than you are. Um, but but still, that you yeah. know, so that was the unit. Um, and, you know, just the fact that they had three first-team All-Pros, I think, is probably the most incredible part about it, um, and especially Tyron Smith being at the peak of what he can do. Um, you know, can you just talk a little bit about, about that? What do you think, you know, when you, you, know, when you hear those things? Well, I, absolutely, and, and uh, I, 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 I always think, you know, and if you talk to any Cowboy fan, they'll talk to you about the mixed emotions of 2016 because uh, clearly it's the line of demarcation in so many ways. It's the last year Des Bryant was truly dominant. It was clearly the last year Tony Romo was in professional football, even though 99.9% .9 of it was him not playing. Uh, you know, if, if your audience is well aware of the chapter and verse, that's great. But uh, for the benefit of uh, the many who the seasons run together, this is the year Romo was coming off uh, the, the two collarbones in 2015 
and everybody thought, okay, the window is closing. Uh, he's obviously a guy who is, uh, is, is, is injury. Uh, you know, the injuries are starting to stack up, but this might be that small window. And that is what, of course, inspired them to go get Ezekiel Elliott. Uh, and so um, the, the draft decisions of 2016, I mean, everything was based on they thought they had two or three more years of Tony Romo. And so they built this offensive line with Tyron in the 2011 draft, uh, Frederick in the 2013 draft, and Martin in the 2014 draft. And it was all building towards this moment of uh, just sheer domination and excellence. And then you got Dez on the outside, you got Witten at tight end, uh, you know, you have some weapons, but uh, really the idea is uh, we're going to have this zone blocking, uh, you know, dominance and then play action off the top of that. And then of course uh, the second you drop a safety down, they're going to have mismatches in the secondary with Des Bryant. So it all starts in my opinion, with the 2011 decision to go get Tyron Smith. And, and to me, that guy is what a Hall of Fame career uh, generally looks like. The, the second you set eyes on him at USC, and I want to say they drafted him at age 20. And, and so as he's leaving USC and there are questions about you know, okay, but uh, has he ever played left tackle and just all of these things that went into Tyron Smith? He felt to me uh, as as one of the easiest evaluations ever, um, which is weird because usually the no brain decade left tackle is uh, a guy who generally becomes a top two or three pick. Uh, so you know, looking back at that 2011 draft it's amazing how many hall of famers are in that top 12. Um, you know, I think pick 11 is JJ Watt, for instance, and the Cowboys actually deliberated to some extent about Tyron Smith versus JJ Watt, uh, which is an unbelievable selection, of course, at number nine overall to actually have that conversation. And then I think 10 ended up being Ryan Kerrigan. And I think Robert Quinn might've been 13 or 14. So just a loaded, loaded, loaded draft. That said, we know Joe Thomas. We know where generational left tackles go in the draft. They go like number one or number two. And so, uh, so the, the, just the fact, just the fact Tyron fell that far uh, is really a, a story in and of itself. And then the fact that I've got to watch his whole career, I'm very protective of the guy just because I find him to be nearly flawless. And it, it offends me that his body is not always cooperating here as we get into just his late twenties, because he seems like the type of guy uh, that should be good to go into his mid thirties. And I really hope his back cooperates, but he's just a, he's just a freak of nature. Uh, his arms are amazing. His feet are amazing. His body fat is insane. Uh, he's just, you've never really seen him overpowered. You've never seen him, uh, particularly overmatched. And, and to say that in, in this highest level of football where, where the freaks exist every Sunday and the tough matchups exist every Sunday, I can't speak enough. You know, people say the Cowboys get more national attention than they deserve. And that's probably true. And that many of their players are overrated and that might be true, but let me say this. Tyron Smith and Zach Martin in particular, it's impossible to overrate them. And I almost feel like Tyron Smith is underrated 
partly because he almost you almost never heard him speak publicly. So so uh, when you just talk about all decade teams and all these accolades and so forth, uh, the you know I, I I can generally find you you know this as well as I do. If you study a guy hard enough and long enough, you can find something that makes him somewhat imperfect. I mean, that's what we do. It's not, it's not necessarily, uh, you want to be critical of somebody, but uh, just observational skills and experience and evaluating players, you'll find something that you're not a 10 out of 10 on. I would suggest Tyron Smith is one of those guys where it's very, very difficult to do that. He is, uh, to this day, an, an absolute technician, and a freak of nature, and you don't always get those two things in the same body. But uh, but he's he's both. Uh, God didn't make create many of uh, Tyron Smith, and uh, he also works incredibly hard and is a very tough uh, individual. And and uh, you know just all those things you're looking for in an offensive lineman. Yeah, I think it's interesting when he was coming out. It seemed like he was right around when that wave, that new wave of offensive tackle was kind of breaking into the league where they were a lot more lean than I think people were used to seeing. And Tyron you know, uh, was certainly in that mold. And I think that that may have created some uncertainty, in, you know, in his evaluation, which, you know, obviously at this point, it, you know, wasn't warranted. But I think that there was, you know, that may have been part of the reason, what, you know, like maybe, you know, power questions, strength questions that come along with being maybe a little bit smaller than, you know, other guys that have played that position like Orlando Pace, Walter Jones, Jonathan Ogden, you know, people yeah. get, they have this yeah. idea ingrained in their mind of what it should look like. And then, you know, here comes this guy who kind of wrecks that and, you know, it just leaves a little bit of uncertainty, but still he went ninth overall um, and then came in and, you know, gradually got stronger, got, you know, a little bit better weight on him, um, you know, added some weight, I mean, and now obviously when you see him, he's, one of the more physically imposing uh, left tackles in the game. So it's funny how that worked. But, um, you know, just a, like you mentioned, everything you said, uh, he's the prototype for the position. And then Martin um, really, you know, has been the most consistent guy since he got drafted, I think. Uh, just yeah. never really missed a game. Yeah. Um, you know, first team All-Pro, I think, four times at this point or so. Right, uh, right. Yeah, and Zach Martin is a guy who I've had a lot of good conversations with guys about, like Ronnie Stanley um, and and other guys that have played with him uh, who have been on the show, and they've just told, you know, just speak glowingly about him. They, most people think that he could play left tackle, you know, right now if he wanted to, um, just because he's such, you know, a technical maven, really. I mean, he's, 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 he's the gold standard of technique at the position and being consistent with your technique and fundamentals. Um, and Martin is a guy still doing it to this day at that level. So he's, uh, you know, him and Tyron are both, you know, probably Hall of Fame guys. And, um, you know, F Frederick to me is really interesting because he had one of the worst combines uh, of any starting center in the NFL. Right. But he plays right. very fast on the field. Um, very heady player, you know, very smart, uh, tough, and he he's probably the strongest center in the league when healthy. Granted, this season he wasn't quite to what he was prior, but, um, you know, Frederick is just, he's one of those guys I think who could play on one of those older offensive lines just Yes, uh, yeah, there's, there's, there's definitely a lot there. Uh, with Martin, to me, what made me nervous, and, and I uh, have grown into a draft nerd, 
uh, more and more every year, and I really love this stuff. But the one thing I really struggled with is the fact that uh, you're telling me we're drafting a guard who has never played guard, really. And and that's, you know, uh, uh, to to my recollection, he was a tackle throughout at Notre Dame. You might correct me if I'm wrong there, but uh, I remember – I, I remember being very nervous about drafting any player at a position that high in the draft where he had never played that prior to becoming a Dallas Cowboy. That that felt nutty to me at the time. And, of course, now I've I've learned the error of my ways because, um, you know, there's, there's definitely great guards in this league, but I'm not sure there's a list of, uh, like, two that you'd rather have than Zach Martin. Um, you know, the thing about him, and of course, uh, he's always linked to Johnny Manziel for uh, crazy Cowboys front office reasons. Uh, the, the perhaps, um, perhaps imaginary and perhaps true story of, uh, the, the Johnny Manziel draft card being wrestled out of Jerry's hands by Steven is, uh, is, 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 is a record we've played many times on our radio show. Um, but, but the, the idea the thing about Martin that I love, and you mentioned his durability and his dependability and all these things, I'm not positive there are a ton of comical, you know, tapes out there where he's just he just looks like, you know, Quentin Nelson, like a freak of nature, just tossing people around like he's Conan the Barbarian or something like that. I don't think that's Martin's game. Not that he's not capable of it, but what what you do with Martin, what what he is is he's a guy you just never even think about worrying about regardless of who he's facing, whether it's Aaron Donald or Indomitian Sue, or just, you know, you start looking at those matchups inside those three techniques that cause trouble for so many guards when they get isolated. Zach is from the day they drafted him until today, you just have never worried about him. You, you know, you go into these big games and you're like, man, I, I wonder if this guy can hold up in this challenge, uh, you know, all pro versus all pro Zach Martin. I, I swear he's never lost a day. And so, uh, you know, that puts him in a category similar to Tyron Smith, but maybe in a slightly different one, just in the sense that Tyron is a freak of nature. Uh, whereas, uh, where Zach, uh, is, probably the same level of, of effectiveness. I just don't know that, uh, that his feats of strength would play to uh, five second video clips quite as well. Like, and, and I hope I'm not insulting him and I hope, uh, I hope you're not in massive disagreement. It's not like Martin ever loses. It's just that he makes it look uh, incredibly simple and, uh, and, and, in uh, in effect easy at times. Uh, does that make any sense? Oh, no. Yeah. I think you're, I think you're pretty much spot on there. Um, you know, I, I think in the vein of Tyron being a athletic, you know, physical freak, maybe Quentin Nelson is, is more kind of a, a good comparison guard wise to him. Um, just because the physicality, the, the size, the strength is just overwhelming and just clearly just on a different level where Martin is, you know, very good in all those areas. But like you said, and like, like we're talking about, I think the thing that makes him so good is he is the most fundamentally sound player. I think of any offensive line position in the NFL. And he has been since he pretty much stepped on the field in 2014. And that's what, I mean, him and Yonda are kind of the gold standards at right guard, but um, you know, he's really the only other guy you can kind of put on his level. And 
I think Martin still, you know, he just got named first team all pro this season right. and it's warranted. Right. I mean, anytime, every year you could put him on that team and he pretty much has been. Um, but yeah, I think, I think that's what makes him stand out so much is just fundamentally technique wise, leverage wise. He's, he's about as close to perfect as you're, as you'll probably ever see from any player playing any position on the offensive line. Right. And so, and, and then if I would jump to Travis Frederick, I would say, um, relative to Tyron and Martin, uh, he, I, I always feel like he's probably a half step down, but that's an insult because he's also probably one of the best centers in all of football. So, so we're grading on a significant curve here because we're talking about a generational left tackle and a generational right guard, whereas the center <laughs> might just be an awesome top three in the league center. And, and uh, sometimes you almost take that for granted because of the other two. Uh, Frederick is, is a phenomenally intelligent player. Uh, he, there are times where you say he could use a little more anchor. I remember Snacks Harrison would give him all sorts of fits uh, in those first couple of years, including 2016 in that game, like in week 14 up in the Meadowlands or New Giant Stadium or whatever we're calling it. And, and you know, there were times where he looked like he had at least met a stalemate, uh, which would, you know, to me, differ from, from, from Zach Martin, for instance. But I, I think we have seen uh, Frederick's true value in his absence in 2018 and in his uh, – uh, and by the way, in 2018, his, his replacement was Joe Looney, who, who performed uh, probably as well as a backup center could possibly perform uh, and, and really wasn't beaten man uh, one-on-one very often – but the offensive line, to me, in 2018 was shambolic relative to its talent level and its, uh, and its contract level. And then, therefore, uh, the 58 sacks DACA took, uh, you know, many of them were on the quarterback, but many of them were, you know, just on the Cowboys uh, perhaps being uh, out-schemed or fooled by something. And I just feel like intelligence-wise – and uh, the ability to recognize and to uh, deploy, uh, you know, everyone, get the line calls right, adjust on the fly. I think Travis Frederick, that's probably his best asset. And so I don't think it's a coincidence. His absence coincided with the Cowboys, uh, perhaps, you know, the front five and, and, and even the tight ends just looking a little bit off in terms of mentality last year. And I, I, that's not an insult to his replacement as much as it is a credit to you just, you know, the, the the basic coach on the field that, that he is. Uh, his 2019 looks like what we're always told about a guy coming off an ACL or a guy coming off, uh, you know, just any major injury. Now, his was a sickness and, and to this day a relatively mysterious one uh, in terms of uh, we don't know, uh, almost like Tiger Woods with a fused spine. We don't know the norm for trying to win majors after a fused spine. We don't really know what an all-pro center can do after missing a year with a nervous system uh, illness. And uh, and then that's essentially what uh, Travis Frederick is, uh, has been attempting to do. So I would say the 2019 season was a fantastic uh, you know show of getting back out there and looking the part of a very solid player, but I would say probably 
um, a rung or two down the ladder from the 2016-2017 dominator that the uh, first-rounder from uh, Wisconsin uh, demonstrated that he is at his peak. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's pretty pretty spot on as well. I agree. He improved as the year went on, I think, this yes. season. Yes, uh, which Which was definitely encouraging to see because initially he – you know, he, he looked pretty far off from what he was in 2017 and, and prior, but it was really good to see him kind of regain some strength and just regain uh, a lot of what he could do as the season progressed. So maybe he'll re- regain a little bit more uh, next season and, and beyond um, and just kind of get a little closer to that. That's what I'm hoping at least. But yeah, I mean, you know, I, I think from when he, he was really good as a rookie in 2013, I have a uh, a pretty in-depth breakdown on my Twitter account from his rookie season um, that people can check out. But then, so he pretty much like Martin, I think, stepped in and, and was very good right away. Uh, yep. And, yep. you know, I mean, he his strength really stands out to me, what he can, you know, his grip strength, what, you know, once he gets his hands inside guys' frames in the run game, uh, he's pretty dominant. Um, and plus he could do all the zone stuff as well. So that's why no I doubt. always no thought doubt. of him as the best in the league when, when he – was playing and he hasn't missed a game aside from the whole season in 2018. He's had 16 starts for, you know, the other, what is it? I think like six seasons he's had 16 right. starts. Right. So another very consistent guy as well. Um, and then just to, you know, kind of wrap it up talking about the guys, you know, Leary and free, you know, Leary went on to sign with the Broncos and, you know, he's battled injuries. Um, he's, he's been pretty good when he's played, um, but he's just kind of you know dealt with his fair share of injuries. But a guy who's undrafted, who the Cowboys brought in and you know molded him into a st- uh, really a, a good starter, uh, you know during his time with the Cowboys in 2016, he was he was very good that season, especially in the run game. Oh yeah, uh, oh yeah. And free, you know, was that was the last year of his career. Uh, but he he went out and and had a solid year, I think, that season, and and really got overlooked. Um, but he was limited physically, but a guy who also played with, I thought, you know, pretty good technique and that's how he won and being a really smart player as well. Yeah. I'd love to talk about those two for a moment, uh, with Leary. Uh, I remember he got to Dallas of course, because his medicals were very poor at the combine and, or, you know, the pre-draft checks, uh, I believe they were talking about his knee, and just the idea that he might have a full-length career seemed rather far-fetched after his college career at Memphis, and and therefore you're really taking a chance, but hey, undrafted, why not? Let's bring him in and let's see what he can do. I was always very impressed with his play strength and his ability to, you know, I mean, it's weird because we think it would probably be really easy to slot in between Tyron Smith to Travis Frederick, but we've seen since Ron Leary has left that you can get exposed very quickly for not having anywhere close to the same strength or quality. And, you know, I think that's what Connor Williams deals with now. Not that, not that Connor Williams isn't a nice uh, player and prospect and all these things, but you can just see that he's on a different page altogether uh, in his physical development. And he might be a tackle trying to play guard and he looks overpowered and overwhelmed at times. And, and so, you know, not to beat up on the kid from Texas, but I think Ron Leary, uh, he's one of those guys that you didn't appreciate when he was fitting in because 
he was just fitting in. And now that you can't find someone to fit in, you realize the value of that. You realize the value of uh, just having a guy who could play uh, NFL average starting left guard and, and hold up his end of the bargain and just never be overrun. And, and I, you know, again, maybe it took him uh, going somewhere else for us to realize the value of that. But uh, in that 2016 season, you could really count on Ron Leary. And then to have young Lyle Collins play left guard, which might be his best spot too. I mean, as you know, there were a couple times where he would pull out into space and just absolutely truck dudes out, uh, out, you know, and, and that's, I think, I think that was Lyle Collins uh, greatest thing out of LSU was just his ability to, to at his size, to get into space and to hit his targets. That's, that's often very difficult for the big bodies. Uh, but he demonstrated the agility and the dancing bear, uh, type, uh, attributes, that uh, a pulling guard needs to have. And, and, you know, the Cowboys started utilizing that a lot. That, that was pretty cool about 2016 is you didn't quite know what running plays they would roll with zone or man because they were excellent at both. Uh, and that's, I suppose, when you know you've got a good offensive line, when, when you don't really need to look for, okay, this is an Alex Gibbs prototype or this is, the you know, Hudson Hawk here. No, no, no. These offensive linemen, you tell them what play you want to run, and they're going to run it really, really well. I think it's just real okay. quick with you know Cowboys offensive line. The fact that when Larry went out, you had Leo Collins to plug in. It's just it's an embarrassment of riches with the Cowboys yeah. offensive line. Yeah. It's funny when I see fans and stuff on Twitter, you know, kind of complain about somebody like even Tyron Smith or you know Frederick. I've seen you know just. It's just like when you look league-wide, you guys have it better than anybody when it comes to offensive line. It's just funny. Well, and, and you know, it's interesting because I agree with you about people on Twitter, but Cowboy fans know what the offensive line looked like in 2011 and 2012. That's what inspired their come-to-Jesus decisions to go take offensive linemen in the first round every year, whether it made sense or not, is uh, they remember, uh, you know, the, the, the days where, you know, uh, it's Bill Nagy. And it's uh, uh, Phil Costa. And it's, uh, you know, these guys were starting uh, the, the opener at the Meadowlands against the Jets in 2011. The Cowboys drafted or, uh, excuse me, started two undrafted rookies, as I recall, or at least day three rookies. And they were overwhelmed early. And, and you know, the, the narrative, of course, is that Tony Romo was out there by himself, partly because they allowed a really good offensive line for the end of the Wade Phillips run. Uh, you know, I, I thought I thought they've been kind of forgotten in Cowboys lore, but the 07 to 09 offensive line was pretty great as well that Marion Barber ran behind. But they all kind of got old at the same time. They all got to be cap casualties about the same time. And so those middle years of – Yeah, yeah, the Leonard Davis, uh, you know, just uh, Gerard, uh, Colombo, all these, all these uh, real stud veterans, uh, Kyle Kozier – they all got old at the same time, so 2010 to 2012 was real patchwork. Uh, of course, you, you also had rookie Tyron Smith, but for the most part, it was replacement level at best. And so, so now, uh, surviving it all was Doug Free playing uh, right tackle uh, after Tyron Smith uh, and, and Doug Free switched spots, I think, to start the 2012 season, if I'm not mistaken. And, and Doug Free was the... Uh, the, the only old dude, you know, and he was, he, he was 
battered and surgeries and, and just uh, hanging on and trying to continue his career. Now, when he retired, it did catch us all by surprise because uh, we thought he also had a couple years left in him. And then after 16, he just said, you know what, guys, I've had enough. And I all, my favorite Doug Free stories are not football stories as much as people who would drive by his house in uh, like Louisville, Texas. So he, you know, like every NFL player, he's got tons of money, but unlike every NFL player, uh, he hasn't spent it evidently because he has a, uh, a very modest home. And my favorite Doug free stories are people driving by his modest home and uh, he's shirtless out there mowing his own lawn. And, uh, and, and, and to me, that's a great Doug free, uh, you know, uh, scouting report is he's the type of guy that uh, will play offensive line for you, not spend any of his money, mow his own lawn shirtless, uh, you know, out there and, uh, you know, and, and not care that uh, Tyron Smith looks much better shirtless than he does. And, and, you know, he, 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 he would battle, he would scrap, he would absolutely get beat. He would absolutely commit penalties but uh, he'd get up and fight you again. And, and, you know, that's, you know, that's uh, uh, a, 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 the fifth version of this very, very good offensive line. And, and by the way, the fans absolutely pummeled the poor guy because they were comparing him to the other four who were all in their early twenties and were all in, 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 in different ways, darn near flawless. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's well said. It, and even, even still just going back to the point about Cowboys offensive line and just how good, Cowboys fans have it uh, and they may not realize it. I mean, you just mentioned a two or three year lull there, but prior to that in the early 2000s, mid 2000s, you had a a very good offensive line with these physically dominating people. The nineties, obviously maybe the best of all time. And then the 2010s, again, three first team all pros. Um, So it's just, it's ridiculous how, you know, good Cowboys fans have it over the last, what, 30 years or whatever of, offensive line play 20 30 um and you know you can spend first round picks on offensive linemen but it doesn't mean you're going to draft three first team all pros right so certainly a credit to the front office for nailing those first round picks um you know i mean those are those are epic you know home run hits in the first round and none of those guys you know it's not like they pick number one or none of those guys were top five so um it's pretty incredible how well the the offensive line has been built there really since I guess under Jerry Jones. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, we, we know different franchises have this knack for finding uh, different positional groups uh, year after year, generation after generation. And yeah, there's no doubt the Cowboys offensive line thing appears to be a gift uh, going all the way back to, to Tom Landry and, and, you know, some of those offensive linemen in the seventies and eighties, but, but yeah, the, the career of Larry Allen is a great example of, uh, of just a guy who was dominant, part of something special, but also somehow uh, underrated by most football fans just because, you know, this is a, and this is what I love about uh, your work is, you know, it, it shines a light on probably the, the uh, aspect of football that needs light sh- uh, shined on it the most. Uh, you know, it just, it, it feels like offensive line play is getting more and more run out there in, in our conversations, but it's still lacking of course, because uh, every easy sports reporting narrative goes back to quarterback immediately. And there's just so much more to it than that. And, 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 you know, the Cowboys uh, have been 
very, very impressive uh, along the offensive line over the years. But, you know, even to this day, as, as they spend more than anybody on their offensive line, it comes back to, okay, now you've built this offensive line. How do you get it to legendary levels, which, of course, requires uh, playoff success? And, uh, you know, you know how that conversation goes around here. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I really appreciate you doing this. Just one more one more thing. I was just wondering if you had any sort of story about maybe like Larry Allen, Eric Williams, or any of the guys playing now. Is there any kind of like maybe draft story or, uh, you know, anything on the field, off the field of, of any kind of these star linemen that you can share? Well, I, you know, my favorites are all Larry Allen stories. And I, I wrote a I wrote a story uh, on on him uh, last July on the Athletic that uh, that uh, your your audience might enjoy revisiting. But but uh, of of all the players, and I wonder if Tyron Smith will become this someday uh, because maybe it just takes time uh, for for a legend to to fully grow. But the Larry Allen stuff is fantastic because of course um, he had almost nothing to say. So, so, you know, I, they're, they're offensive linemen, you know, Taylor Luan is, I suppose, on the other end of the spectrum who always has something to say, but, uh, but, uh, you know, in the case of, uh, Larry Allen, if you could get three words out of him, uh, you were really doing something. And so, uh, all the stories about him get bigger and more impressive, partly because, uh, almost nobody outside the locker room ever heard him talk. If you were in sports radio, he was not an interesting interview. God bless him. Uh, but the stories, the, the stories about him, uh, you know, that's, that start with uh, the Aikman interception in New Orleans in his rookie year where, he, uh, where, where Larry Allen is running down the interception from behind on, I think, Monday Night Football is, uh, is definitely worth watching. Yeah, it's definitely worth watching on YouTube. And you can find it, uh, you know, if you if you look for that. But uh, that that demonstrated to us what type of athlete he was uh, from just a uh, you know speed standpoint. And here is a massive, massive human being who actually can run down a uh, a linebacker who has a head start, the angle, and of course is heading in the opposite direction. And Larry Allen still ran him down which I believe beat uh, even Troy Aikman uh, to the play. And then, of course, uh, the other thing about Larry Allen that, uh, that uh, would, would grow with uh, legend, but, uh, again, also available on YouTube, which is, which is certainly great, is uh, when he bench-pressed uh, the 700 pounds and so forth. And, of course, it's in the Cowboys' weight room, and the entire team is going bonkers. And, uh, you know, he just does what he does because he's Larry Allen. And, uh, you know, the battles with Reggie White – the uh, the domination where I think it was uh, um, Greg Lloyd uh, the pole block on Greg Lloyd at Super Bowl thirty uh, so so I I would say my best stories of Larry Allen were I, I had to document last summer um, when we were when we were going through a series I said you know what I I have to make sure I document his legend so I did it at the Athletic uh, in July and 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 uh, I, I will tweet that out there for your audience. Yeah, please do that. Um, and yeah, so Bob, thank you so much for, for taking the time to do this. And everyone, please go check out his work on The Athletic. Um, you can follow him at Twitter. Uh, what's your handle? 
Bob? At Sports Sturm, S-T-U-R-M. <laughs> so uh, it's uh, it, hopefully I will give you uh, plenty of uh, football content amidst all of my uh, soccer and hockey takes. But uh, but uh, I, I am a uh, I am a sports enthusiast to say the least. Yeah, and, and you bring really good historical perspective to, to what you do, and that's, I think, what I appreciate the most. So, again, thank you for, for what you're doing and for coming on, and uh, hopefully, you know, maybe we'll get to talk again sometime soon. Can't wait, man. Thanks, and uh, keep doing what you're doing, sir. Absolutely. Thanks.